Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. You think about some of these kids as they go back into their childhood and Sometimes there's some kind of a trauma. Sometimes they were abused. Sometimes there's different aspects to it. They were bullied just because of their awkwardness. There's all sorts of factors that add into it. But ultimately, it comes down to the individual himself. And I think, like you said, the core of all of these psychotics are they're narcissistic. And so I think what you're describing is ultimately they are going to share something. And whether they write it down or it's in some kind of a communication. And I think that's part of their nature is they want to share it. They want the attention. And I think it's probably eating them alive. They're like, man, I've got all these great, grandiose plans. I'm going to be super powerful when I kill all these people and I absorb their energy. And I want to tell somebody about it. They want the credit. They want to be known and they want the credit. And it's true. And a lot of them, there are even cases that I profiled in the book where they emulate each other. Like uh, they will idolize each other. (laughs) And so, I mean, as deranged as that sounds, I do think that is a piece of this because it has been pretty consistent. And a lot of the research that I've done, they want to broadcast it in some fashion. They don't want to have done this in vain. They're going to go out you know, no pun intended with a bang. Yeah. Well, I think they also want to be admired. You know, it's interesting that the movie, The Silence of the Lambs, which Dr. Meller and I actually talked about when he was on the show. And I think one of the things about that show that is so creepy and it just the reason that the show was such an amazing success is because of that relationship that Lecter had with the guy that was making the dress out of the skin. And it's one of those things that I think normal people hear about and we're just like, okay, (laughs) that's just next level. I would never think of something like that. And yet the relationship between those two and the way they were kind of admiring each other's work is creepy on a different level. And you're just like, all right, well, James Holmes probably had something similar where he was like, I have this thought process, this plan in my head and to methodically go through. And that's really interesting to me is he chose his target based on the different factors. And I'm a military guy. And so strategy is always really important to me and how you funnel people into the kill zone, that kind of thing. Not that I'm planning that, but just want to throw that caveat out there. So anybody listening to this won't turn me in, but those kind of things are important in maximizing the effect. And it totally makes sense that he would choose a target that it's a target rich environment because people are literally stacked up, you know, they're in layers. And so you would have a clear shot at many of them, or if not all of them, limited exits. It's all dark in there. So people are not going to be able to see well to get out. They're crammed in there in just, yeah, that's a perfect target. Well, it was horrifying too, because he not only planned that, but he pretended to be one of the moviegoers. 
which is right. even more diabolical. That you would go in there and spend, basically watch 10 minutes of the previews with all the people that you're going to slaughter and then pretend to exit the theater because he had a phone call. So again, he's trying to exhibit to the other people in the theater how important he is. He has to leave the theater to take this phone call. So there are lots of things that he did that are just so calculated and diabolical. Definitely evil. Did he actually go there with anybody or was he just by himself? No, he went by himself, but he chose the premiere, interestingly enough, because he didn't want any children to be there. So the premiere, of course, was at midnight and he thought it would reduce the likelihood that children might be in the audience. And that was the interesting thing that his court-appointed psychiatrist zeroed in on. You know, what was it about children that you didn't want to slaughter them? Somehow they were not part of his point system. And yet he was in the lobby area and saw children dressed up in the various characters. And of course, sadly, one of his victims was a six-year-old child. So in his mind, kids weren't worth as many points? Hard to say why he singled out children. I mean, there was a theory that he had once worked at a camp for schizophrenics and had some kind of empathy or related to the children that were medicated or having problems. You know, maybe he related to them because he himself was sort of ostracized. Hmm. Nobody really knows. But they used that fact that he had some kind of affinity toward children to get him to tell them about his booby-trapped apartment. Because they said, you know, there might be children in the apartment and you don't want them to die. You know, very strange. Well, on the other side of that, if in, well, I don't know, I'm trying to relate things that probably don't have any connection. But if you think about the ripple effect that you brought up earlier, in my mind, the biggest ripple occurs when crimes are committed against children. Because they're, especially like, you know, sexually abused or even physically abused, but especially on the sex trafficking type of scenarios where children are used as, well, they're abused in some way, but the trauma that those kids go through reverberates throughout their lives. And therefore it creates more ripple than even a homicide would, because in a homicide, that person, their life has ended. And yes, there's ripple effect in their friends and family, but the person that is experiencing the worst trauma, they are taken out of the picture. And yet, in his mind, he didn't want children. I don't know. Maybe I'm just putting things together that don't belong together. But I I would think if he wanted to have the mass, the worst type of remembrance and people, you know, as a narcissist, he's like, yeah, I, I want attention, not just for this act, but for long term, he would want children in there. There's no definitive explanation for that. It seemed very, it was just a little, it was a strange factoid about him. Yeah. Well, which would uh, fit right along with the fact that he was just strange, period. I mean, I've seen all sorts of pictures of different hair colors and all sorts of the way he was experimenting with his look. And yeah, I wonder if he almost saw himself as a superhero type that, you know, 
was able to amass the most points kind of thing. And that's why he chose not only the movie theater, but also the audience as well as the show itself. Well, I mean, there are varying theories on that, but one thing that did come out was he was fascinated by the Batman movie. Not necessarily the Joker, but definitely the Batman movie and fascinated more about sort of an underground version of it, if you will. (laughs) Wanting to know not so much about him as a superhero, but he wanted to know about the body count. And so for him, it was how can he accomplish this and create more body count than Batman actually did? So there were all kinds of theories as to whether or not he actually had this affinity for why he chose the premiere of The Dark Knight Rises. You know, was it because he really identified with the Joker or identified with, you know, and there really wasn't any rhyme or reason to what he did other than he tells somebody at the shooting range when he walks in with this shock of orange hair that it was time for a change. (laughs) That's what he tells the the instructor, you know, but who knows, you know, I mean, he he wore that hair and, you know, when he was arrested and in court, he had groupies in court that dyed their hair orange to be like him. It's very strange. So, yeah. All right. The groupie thing. Those people should be locked up. Right. <laughs> you know, it's I know. Almost like there were groupies that were like proposing to the Boston bomber. I'm like, right. that's a different subject. And maybe we can have you on again and talk about that. But <laughs> that don't relate with those people at all. So it's fascinating and very disturbing that there are proponents of it and followers of it. And they could, you know, it just shows what lack of insight. You know, they have into actually what this person did and is capable of doing. So is that your underlying message is that, I mean, I 100% agree with you. Evil exists. In fact, I did a um, post on LinkedIn just not long ago. And that was the first line is because evil does exist. And I think there's a certain segment of society that maybe they don't relate with that. But and they certainly. I don't know. They don't believe in it. I don't know. But uh, you cannot deny it. And I think there are a a certain type of person out there that is more susceptible to it. But ultimately, there are just going to be people out there that are just evil. And whether they identify themselves through, like you are describing a profile, or they ultimately commit an act. But Clearly, those are the types that have to be removed from society in order for society to continue functioning. And I think it's getting harder and harder to do that. Yes, I would agree with that. And I think probably the evil that we see is the the violence. But the evil that is far more insidious, in my opinion, is the psychological abuse, the manipulation, the things that people really you know, the gaslighting, you can't see it, but you definitely experience it and very difficult to stop that. Yeah. Final question. The psychologist, what was her name again? Dr. Fenton. She's a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. Yes. How has she fared through all of this? 
Well, you know, she had her whole life turned upside down as a result of this case, the trial. She was on a gag order for about three years pending trial. So she couldn't even tell her story about what happened. But I think that she is never going to forget this. It has profoundly affected her life. And I think that that's part of the ripple effect of this of trauma of this case. I think that you start to live with this. It becomes part of your, I don't want to say identity, but there are definitely, you know, she will say that homes affected people in ways that no other patient has, and you don't actually ever recover from him. And I can say that even as the writer of this and living with this story and getting into his head and getting into her head, it really took a long time for me to kind of recover from that because I could see it from the perspective of all the players, his defense attorneys, you know, having been a defense attorney in that situation, it gets under your skin. This is one of those cases where you just sort of live with it. And I think that she has made many changes to her life as a result of homes. But I think she also felt it was very important to tell this story, not really to vindicate herself, really to be that mouthpiece for people that couldn't speak, to be able to tell their story. Because the the story is really about the survivors of him the first responders, the amazing, astonishing heroism that they exhibited in this case. I mean, it's just, it's unprecedented. And I think, but for her telling the story, I don't know that those stories would have a voice. So I think it was really important for her to come out of hiding, to risk it again, in order to be that mouthpiece. Yeah. Well, there's, I think there is one central villain in this, and it's obviously James Holmes. But like you said, I think there the number of heroes that come out of this. And even I, I, I remember when this happened, and I was reading about a lot of the victims and how many of them were like military, and many of them were throwing themselves on top of their wives and their children to protect them with their own bodies. And a lot of them died because of that. To me, that's the ultimate, not only sacrifice, but also the ultimate act of heroism. And I think by highlighting how evil this guy was and really trying to get into his head at the same time, we can honor the people that brought out the best of society and the best of humanity in the face of this tragedy. And I think that's really where most of us are. But understanding the psychotics and the the level of narcissism that some of these people can uh, ascend to is pretty amazing as well. And fascinating for sure. So any last words? Uh, go buy the book. <laughs> you can find it at my, uh, <laughs> my website, carriedroven.com on Amazon. Absolutely. And we will put a link in with uh, both on YouTube and in the comments of the podcast. So wherever people are listening to this or watching it, make sure to go to the link 
go to carriedroban.com. And I got that right. D-R-O-B-A-N, carriedroban.com and get this book. And I saw it was available on Amazon and everywhere else. The title of the book is Aurora. Is there a subtitle to it? It's Aurora, the psychiatrist who treated the Colorado movie theater killer tells her story. (laughs) All right. So you could probably Google just about any of that and and find it. But uh, definitely a book that I am going to order myself and probably freak some people out as I'm reading it on the airplane. But yes, Carrie, this has been fascinating. And I absolutely appreciate you coming on and telling this because I agree with you. This is a story that needs to be told. And now that we're, what, a decade removed from that, even now, there are still a lot of interesting perspectives and lessons learned that I think more people need to have and be aware of. And just fascinating stuff, trying to get into the mind of psychos, basically, that are willing to actually pull the trigger is, it's just one of, you know, there's a reason that horror movies are so popular. And it's because of that. Well, Carrie, thank you again so much. And it's been a pleasure. And I would love to have you on for your next book. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. So uh, yeah, I'll keep you posted. (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.